Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. COP27 ended with a landmark agreement on a loss and damage fund. To a second additional day, delegates at the COP27 Climate Summit finally reached agreement in the early hours of this morning. It was 4.15 on Sunday morning when the gavel finally came down on the loss and damage deal. Hear no objections, it's so decided. Breakthrough at last for those on the devastated front line of the climate crisis who heralded a newly agreed fund for their loss and damage after decades of asking. We have struggled for 30 years on this path, and today in Sharm el this journey has achieved its first positive milestone. That deal has raised hopes that even more can be achieved in Montreal, Canada, where 20,000 delegates from 196 countries are gathered for the world's most important biodiversity conference, COP15. Hundreds of police officers surround a conference centre in downtown Montreal. They've secured a large perimeter around the building, preparing for the COP15 summit. We can see that nature loss is accelerating, and that means we need to act quicker now too. The goal? To adopt a new agreement protecting the world's plants, animals and ecosystems. It's extremely important. I would say it's a generational event. The conference will see countries aim to agree on a major new set of rules for stemming and reversing nature loss called the Post-2020 Global Diversity Framework, or GBF, often referred to as the Paris Agreement for Nature. Similar goals have been set previously and few have been met, but the cost of failure has never been higher. So I spoke to my colleagues Catherine McCauley and Niall Smith to find out how any agreements reached at COP15 might affect the future for businesses, the economy and investors. But in part one of the show, we're going to find out a bit more about COP15 and why so much focus has fallen on nature and biodiversity. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. So COP15 stands for the 15th meeting of the Conference of the Parties to the Convention on Biological Diversity. That's Catherine McCauley, a sustainable investment analyst at Schroders. You might also hear it referred to as the CBD COP, so that Convention on Biological Diversity COP. CBD is a treaty agreed upon back in 1992. Yet despite being 30 years old, only now is it coming into focus as the rate of species decline has accelerated. There's a desperate plea for global support to protect the world's animals and plants. It comes after a new report has shown that wildlife populations have fallen by nearly 70% since 1970. The Worldwide Fund for Nature says governments, businesses and the public must take action to reverse the destruction of biodiversity. The report warns, quote, we have a broken relationship with nature. And it is a stark warning for us. If wildlife and its habitats don't survive, then neither will we. What it's telling us is we've lost a lot, an incredible amount. We need to act now, but there's still time for us to to rebuild 
those systems. While previous plans have clearly failed to spark action, COP15 gives all countries the chance to regroup and align on its objectives. In particular, supporters are hoping for an agreement similar to Paris in 2015, which was the first ever legally binding international treaty on climate change in which global leaders agreed to limit temperature rises. And the hope is that COP15 will provide that same landmark international agreement for nature, which will catalyse action in the years to come. So the focus of this COP is really agreeing that long-term vision as well as the interim targets um, that we'll need to see to get us there, rather than on the implementation mechanisms, if you like. That being said, uh, you know, developing a better answer on how we'll finance nature will be critical to both the success of this COP as well as future COPs. Um, and the agreement does reference, you know, aligning public and private financial flows, which is really important. So the longer term sort of overarching aims, there are four of them. They are admittedly fairly high level. Uh, so these are to enhance ecosystem integrity, ensure that nature's contributions are valued, ensure that the benefits of nature are shared fairly and equitably, and then to close the implementation and financing gaps that we see on nature. There are 21 targets for 2030. We can't list them all here, but if you want to know more, then visit the UN's Climate Champions website, which we'll include a link to in the show notes. But headline targets include conserving 30% of land and sea areas, restoring 20% of degraded marine and freshwater areas, and cutting plastic pollution, among many others. So I think the biggest thing to come out of COP15 will be that sort of broad international agreement on on the vision and mission for nature. A recent World Bank report estimates that the economic hit from the deterioration of nature and some ecosystem services could reach $2.7 trillion annually by 2030. But before we go any further, to understand why nature is becoming a concern for economists and investors, we need to understand what we mean by nature and why it can have such a dramatic impact on our economy. Nature can be defined broadly as natural capital, biodiversity and ecosystem services. Here's Noel Smith on natural capital. Natural capital is a term used to describe all of the world's natural resources. Niall's an ESG data analyst at Schroders. So it includes non-living things like rocks, the minerals and soil beneath our feet, as well as all living things, so animals, plants, humans. And what about biodiversity? This is a pretty broad term, but it is used to describe the variety of life that is found on Earth. So it can be used across multiple levels. We can talk about the variety of species in a given area, the genetic variety of communities within uh, within each species, and then actually the variety of ecosystems uh, that make up an entire biome. Um, So there are clear links between the two. Biodiversity is a crucial component of natural capital um, and biodiversity underpins the provision of most ecosystem services. Ecosystem services is another term frequently applied to nature. Put simply, they are the services that provide for human well-being and quality of life. This can be in a practical sense, so providing food and water and regulating the climate, as well as cultural aspects such as reducing stress and anxiety. Without them, we simply couldn't exist. And inextricably linking natural capital, biodiversity and ecosystem services is climate change. So as we emit greenhouse gases that drive changes to the climate system, we are in effect disrupting ecosystems in the process. So climate change is one of the driving factors for biodiversity loss. However, conversely, 
a healthy biosphere and high levels of biodiversity actually has this incredible ability to buffer and control the climate system. It has done for about the past 800,000 years. 800,000 years, so long before you and I roamed the Earth. Certainly well before economists and investors were trying to calculate the cost of our impact on nature. But whether you're a believer or not, it's happening. So in part two of the show, we'll look at how investors are trying to put a value on natural capital, biodiversity, ecosystem services and businesses' impact on nature. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash the investor download. There are two schools of thought when it comes to putting a price on nature. Environmental economists believe natural resources should be accounted for on a balance sheet along with other assets and liabilities. Others think that natural capital is intangible and the economy is a subset of natural capital, so we shouldn't go as far as to place a price on it. In my personal view, I think that um, if we don't attempt to quantify and, and economically evaluate natural capital and levels of consumption, then we will never really be able to integrate its consideration into economic thinking and, and decision-making. Um, so natural capital is fundamental to all aspects of the economy. Uh, clearly, some industries will be impacted um, more immediately um, and more materially than others. Um, so first, we'd like to say that in, in the face of global ecological collapse, really no one can hide. So if we look at, um, at companies first, companies urgently need to start considering the impacts that they will have on the natural environment. Um, counting carbon emissions just won't cut it anymore. As biodiversity loss continues to come more and more into the focus, and uh, the bar will be raised in terms of company disclosure and, and mitigation of operational impact. And companies should also try to analyze the extent to which they are dependent on these ecosystem services for their own uh, revenue generation. But why should investors care? But investors, by extension, need to determine their levels of impact and dependency on natural capital. We need to be able to safeguard investments from this systemic risk. There's also the company-specific risks um, for investment portfolios. So if you have a company that is operating in a sector or a region that that is, you know, there's high water scarcity and it, it uses a lot of water um, resources, then that company is at risk from either being shut down due to regulation to try to conserve water or because there's simply no water left. For us as investors, you know, I think there are kind of three prongs to the way in which we're tackling this question. Um, the first is really insight. So what data can we leverage to really build out those models to try to understand the impacts and dependencies and risks and exposures of our portfolio companies? And the second is really to influence those companies. So all of that sort of data-driven assessment uh, helps us identify priority lists for companies that we need to be talking to to understand how they are, how they're dealing with um, with these risks, with potential opportunities. And then the third pillar is really innovation. So developing those financing mechanisms to to try to scale into nature-based solutions. So I think impact on biodiversity is is quite multifaceted, and you have to keep in mind that there are several impact. Um, drivers or impact pathways. So we can think about how much um, land use a company might be responsible for, uh, quantities of fresh water they're consuming and so forth. Um, so this is where we can start to get really granular with uh, company specific impacts 
And so if you layer that all together, you don't get an exact picture, but I think you get a pretty strong approximation based on the inherent characteristics of the industry, uh, the geographic exposure of their operations and supply chain, and actually the company-specific level of impact. So effectively, ignoring nature could come at a price, whether that be a temporary shutdown of a plant or a fine from regulators. The bottom line is that the bottom line could be at risk. At a high level, Catherine says food products and the agricultural sector is probably the one of, if not the biggest risks, along with the paper and packaging and forestry sectors. Asset-intensive businesses with larger physical footprints like oil and gas, real estate development and mining, for instance, are also at risk. There are certain industries where we have uh, asset-level location data and that's really powerful in catalyzing conversations. Um, and I think, you know, when you can go to a company with that level of detail, they suddenly realize that, okay, we need to take this question seriously and kind of, you know, bring the right people to the call to get that nuance and that detail. And I think actually it, it's interesting, it's those those companies in, and industries that um, have the highest impacts of nature obviously have been dealing with the risks around it for much longer. Um, so we, act, we participated in a, um, TNFD pilot for the palm oil sector. TNFD stands for the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, which aims to enable organisations to report and act on evolving nature-related risks. And actually a lot of the conversations uh, with palm oil companies was, you know, they were slightly frustrated because they have been reporting on a a lot of these indicators and trying to track them for many, many years because it's such a it's so fundamental to their business models. Um, So, you know, there are pockets of of greater levels of disclosure and and transparency. Once the risks are known and companies are willing to acknowledge them, that's when the conversations can start. What are those conversations? That's coming up in the final part of the show. As an investor, you can't start a conversation with a company unless you have a plan. So we've put together um, a plan for nature that really sets all of this out um, and really highlights, you know, what we'll be going through next year. So next year, we've got a huge focus on on deforestation. Now, we've already been engaging companies on this for many years, um, but we're rolling out a really comprehensive engagement program um, to really target and understand um, those exposures and risks. In conversations that I've had with companies, often they'll say, you know, Actually, it's quite surprising that you're asking these questions because you're one of the first investors to to do so. Um, And we also published our engagement blueprint uh, last year, which sets out our kind of key themes for engagement, natural capital and biodiversity being one of them. But having conversations and holding companies to account are two very different things. How do we hold companies accountable? There is no maybe definite way for that, but at least we can track carbon emissions, which is something investors across the market are doing. We can monitor uh, companies' progress towards climate goals in, in uh, effectively in real time. Unfortunately, on biodiversity, we don't have uh, the carbon emission equivalent. So I think there's um, the issue of biodiversity loss, natural capital consumption is orders of magnitude more complex than climate. As a general note, I think it's probably in its infancy. And certainly we are trailing on the heels of the theme of climate, which is ironic given we've just highlighted the interconnectedness of the two themes. Um, But I think what we are hoping is that COP15 will be this landmark event, as you've described, um, and that we will see a a, a really significant push for disclosure on 
nature related uh, risks and opportunities? Um, I think on nature, you know, we're still trying to agree on a industry wide measurement or set of set of measures. Um, so I think, you know, it is more challenging. And I think we find often that at the moment we're reliant on proxies and industry proxies um, and kind of data that gives you an indication of the drivers of biodiversity loss and how a company is influencing them. But getting kind of direct measures of biodiversity loss itself is is challenging because it's highly context specific, geography specific. I think I'm optimistic. I think the the level of focus that we've seen on on nature and biodiversity, even in the absence of an international global agreement, um, has been hugely notable. And I think that you know, with initiatives like TNFD um, coming, and with investors increasingly trying to understand their risks and opportunities within their portfolios, there will be um, increasing momentum uh, for companies. So I think yes, it's harder to measure, but I think that you know, tech is evolving, regulation is evolving, and I think it will soon become, you know, a non-negotiable. Here's what else investors are talking about. The UN's environment chief has set the scene ahead of the Biodiversity Summit in Canada, warning we are at war with nature and must make peace. There are five key areas of impact for investors to watch. You can read COP15, What Are the Five Horsemen of the Biodiversity Apocalypse by senior content strategist Vicky Owen at schroders.com forward slash insights. Schroders also has a team of representatives at COP15, including our global head of sustainable investment, Andy Howard. Watch this space for a COP15 roundup of what unfolded. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at schroderspodcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy. 